0: It's just right for us.
1: The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network.
2: And the Patriots have been the biggest spenders all day. Hunter Henry, three-year, $37.5 million deal. Gets 25 guaranteed. Nelson Aguilar, now he gets a two-year, $26 million deal. Jalen Mills from the Philadelphia Eagles, the safety slash corner. Very Patriots-like, can kind of do everything on the back end. Gets four years, about $24 million. Devon Godshow, really strong defensive tackle. Gets nine million dollars guaranteed. Jonu Smith, the speedster from the Tennessee Titans, he gets four years, fifty million dollars. Matt Judon, a four-year, fifty-six million dollar deal for New England. I mean, it is pretty clear this is a year they they thought they needed some some help. They don't often make splashes in free agency, but we've seen a couple splashes so far from Bill Belichick. Welcome
3: everybody to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Ian Rappaport
1: montage created by yours truly. All of the signings (laughs) that the Patriots made.
3: We are here at the Precipice. AFC East (laughs) Roundup Free Agency. Dreams, nightmares, and reality, Chris. A lot of contracts got handed out in the first few days of the NFL's free agency period. Our division's various fan bases are feeling a variety of ways about what's gone on so far and what they think might happen in the future. And tonight, we're here for all of it, alongside our stable of crack podcasters from around the division to discuss discuss everything that's gone on and everything that we think might happen. And we start with the team that has the most cap space, And also the most work to do in terms of fielding an NFL roster in the New York Jets. And here to talk to us about it is Mr. Scott Mason from PlayLikeAJet.com. PlayLikeAJet.com,
2: folks. Scott, how's it going over there at the new website? Hey, Drew, I just wanted to let you know, uh, a source just texted me. Apparently, the Patriots have re-signed Drew Bledsoe, so you can add that one also Ah, to the list of ah, never-ending signings (laughs) play like a
3: jet.com play like a jet host scott mason has launched his own website and I'm, i'm i'm interested to see how has it been going so far now that you've kind of ventured out started your own
2: brand isn't it exciting yeah it's really cool to be honest with you it's a lot more work because now in addition to just doing the podcast there's video there's written stuff we're working on a bunch of other things but the first day of free agency or i guess you would call it The first pre-day of free agency, the legal tampering period was especially busy. And it didn't look like it was going to be that way when the day started. But by the time the day was over, very different story. And the Jets made a big splash. I think a lot of people were hoping they would. It wasn't in the way that they were expecting, but it was interesting. And I think... Most Jets fans seem to be fairly pleased with what Joe Douglas did on day one. Well, so let's run this down. The
3: early storylines, Chris. First of all, a huge deal for defensive end Carl Lawson coming in at $15 million a year, average annual value over three seasons. A deal for wide receiver Corey Davis, you know, big physical guy. I think he led the NFL in contested targets, uh, contested catches last year. And apparently the team still has interest in
2: Brashad Perryman. Chad Perriman is a legend, and anytime you have an opportunity to bring him back to your football team, I think you have to take it. Yeah, I mean, listen, everybody (laughs) – so you know the story. Everybody and their mother was saying – and I had to laugh because this is what I like to call fake insider season. You have all these unverified nobodies on Twitter pretending to have sources. Like, a source says, and they'll always throw out the most – Obvious nonsense, and then when it happens because everyone knew it was going to happen, they'll just claim, See, as I reported, and it just makes me crack up. Hey Chris, and we, everybody has that. Every fan base has people like that that do that on Twitter. Chris, we remember year. sources. Hashtag sources.
3: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we here in the Buffalo market have had a, uh, a couple instances of that, haven't we? Hilariously enough, they also uh, have to do with the wide receiver category. But I digress because we're not here to sleep <laughs> mud. We're here to talk about football. Um, so when I look at this, there was a lot of fan hand-wringing going on over Douglas' not throwing his weight around. Uh, Jess fans, our GM is the worst. He has no plan. I have a question. Did last season's outcome, and knowing how much money you guys had, really color your approach? Like, did
2: it really jade your fan base that much heading into this year? I think what really happened, truthfully, is that, and this is where I was going with the fake insider thing, everybody that's a fake insider and the real insiders are saying the same thing. Jets are going to go hard after Joe Tooney. He's priority number one. And everyone knew that. He was going to be priority number one last year, and then took him off the market. So everybody just in their mind built up that the Jets were going to be able to get Joe Tooney. But what I kept telling people, and I think I tweeted something along these lines, is just remember, there are 31 other teams that want to sign good players. You're not the only team. And, yeah, the Jets have cap space, but anybody who's a top-level free agent is going to have options. So bottom line with Tooney was, yeah, the Jets were going to be aggressive, but that didn't mean Tooney was going to want to come here. And it's nothing necessarily against Joe Douglas. It's just, look, let's be real about this. If the Chiefs are offering you a five-year, $80 million deal, and you have the choice to come to the Jets, who were 2-14 and last year, and who have a completely unsettled situation at quarterback, or you could go to the Kansas City Chiefs to play with Patrick (laughs) Mahomes and be a Super Bowl contender from the first second you step on the field, it's an easy choice. So I think a lot of fans freaked out at that because they thought that was Douglas's big mission and the interior offensive line was so bad they had to go out and get somebody good. And then Corey Lindsley went off the board, the center from the Packers. Turns out the Jets never even reached out to him because they want to use Connor McGovern at center. They don't want to shift him to guard so they're not looking in the center market. But I think when those two guys went off the board, everybody was starting to freak out. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And that's when all the panic attacks happened. And I think also because the team last year didn't spend any money and they were 2 and 14 and there were specific needs. And the idea that's been built up for a while is the Jets have all this money and they have this big advantage because it's a weird year with the cap. And all of a sudden, you know, the cap went down 10 million instead of going up 10 million. So there are teams that didn't plan accordingly for that. So there was this idea that the Jets were going to be able to get pretty much whoever they wanted, I suppose. But it just doesn't no. work out that way. That's well, not the way reality is.
3: And that's part of it. I mean, we talked about it in our Rock Pile Report podcast that we here in Buffalo have cultivated this concept of if you come here, we have a culture that's going to allow you to not, not just rehab your image, but we're going to be competitive. And now that we can carry that mantle of comp, you know, contender, legitimate contender. That gives us some added latitude that you can start to go out and find other talents out there that can do certain things for you. You're also going to have in-house players who are willing to take pay cuts just to stick around. I mean, Mario Addison, Mitch Morse, those are guys who didn't need to, but they voluntarily said, look, I'll, I'll shave a couple million off because I know my name is on the chopping block. If you need cap space, I'll give you some because I want to be here. I want to be a part of what you're building rather than going out to the free agent market. It's specifically interesting when you look at a guy like Addison, who, in, in review of what you guys paid for Carl Lawson, it seems interesting that Addison might have been in one of those cases where he could have been cut and still landed a very comfortable contract as a pass rusher with something of a proven history. He could have gone to market and maybe gotten an adequate deal, and instead he chose to shave money and stay in Buffalo. Meanwhile... You guys signed Carl Lawson, and I, out of rage, it was either drink or eat something. And since it was already 11 o'clock, I think like 10.30, when I saw the news break that you guys had signed Carl Lawson, I ate half a box of Nilla wafers. Half a box out of frustration. Just pure frustration. That's your fault. I'm actually blaming you and your fans. <laughs> Are you comfortable with the with the level of investment you just put into Carl Lawson. I mean, I liked it when it was $8 million. What do you think about the $15 million price tag?
2: That's just what pass rushers get paid. I'm not worried about it. Okay. Honestly, it's funny because you and I had a conversation earlier in the day yesterday when all the Trey Hendrickson rumors were heating up. And you texted me and you said, hey, I've got a chart that I make all the time with these pass rushers. I call it the Kyler Fackrell effect chart. I'm going to send it to you, and I'm going to show you why I didn't want Trey Hendrickson at all for the Bills and why I think he'd be a bad idea. And the stuff that you put in there is not anything that I wasn't familiar with, but just seeing it in one spot in that chart sort of just drove the point home. And I did post it up as a guest post, basically crediting you and posting up the pictures of the chart over at playlikeajet.com. And the thing with him is that it was a career year this past year, Hendrickson, 13 and a half sacks, but it was one of those weird anomalies where his pressure to stack conversion rate was absurdly high. And as you said, not sustainable. And also it was a situation where you wondered if the fact that he was winning most of the time without beating guys one on one, it was covered sacks, it was busted plays, stuff like that if there was any way that he was going to be able to repeat what he did this past year with New Orleans. Now, to be fair, I still would have taken him. I would have been very nervous about it. But even worst case scenario, you figure he had to be better than what they already had, right? With Lawson, he sort of reminds me of Leonard Williams in a way. And I don't mean as a player. I just mean in the sense that it's the reverse of what happened with Hendrickson. So one thing that Leonard Williams always struggled with, and it was just the weirdest thing and we can never figure it out. Michael Nanny at Jets X Factor and I will talk about this constantly. If you looked at the data, Leonard Williams was always near the top in interior defensive linemen in hurries in pressures and quarterback hits, all that stuff. But for some reason he just wasn't getting sacks. Now, a lot of Jets fans would take that and go, you bum, we picked you sixth in the draft and you, you got like two sacks last year. Uh. <laughs> and I would tell people all the time, he's way better than you're giving him credit for. He's a, a disruptor, no matter whether you want to believe it or not. There are teams around the league that value him much more than you do because people look past Sacks. If you watched Leonard Williams, and I know you guys did at least twice a, a season because he played against the Bills, mm-hmm. he would make a lot of those kind of plays. He wouldn't necessarily finish. But again, there's a lot of value in chasing a quarterback to the point where he has to throw the ball away. People don't take that into account. So I said it's kind of a weird strange thing that this would go on for a couple of years with Williams, where he wouldn't get any sacks, but he would always be at the top in pressures and hurries. And it was like, there's, it's only a matter of time before this converts because it the law of averages in mathematics just tells you it has to. And so, of course, it finally did this past year with the Giants. And with Lawson, you're kind of betting on the same thing with him. And it, and a similar situation to what happened with Zadarius Smith when Green Bay signed him away from Baltimore, right? Because Lawson only had five and a half sacks and I think five the year before. But if you look at hurries and pressures and quarterback hits, I think he was fourth in the NFL among edge rushers in in pressures this past year. And if you watch his tape, his pass rush plan is really impressive. He's got a wide array of moves, uses his hands very well. He's quick, very good technique. So he's one of those guys where if you look at the – standard numbers kind of like what i i always say about like batting average in baseball all this guy bats 230 but his on these percentage is like 380 and you're like oh actually he's really good with lawson yeah he hasn't had a ton of sacks but i think you can make a credible case that other than shaq barrett who was never really available lawson might have been best actual edge rusher available and so to get him at three for 45 when hendrickson went for four for 60 and Bud Dupree went for five for 82. I
3: think <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the spending at defensive end, we talked about that. It was out of control. I mean, defensive end, it turns out, is recession-proof. If you're a pass rusher, what recession? What are you talking about? No, 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 no. We got money for days for those players. Wide receivers, on the other hand, are really taking it in the shorts. And it's just interesting watching all these dynamics play out. So now... As we kind of wrap this conversation, I want to put this into two different categories because you've already made some moves. Unlike the bills, your franchise has been out here. I mean, we made moves over the weekend before free agency started, but we're on that list of teams that until tonight, when, or, or at least earlier when they announced the assigning of Emmanuel Sanders, I guess for the Buffalo bills, that was the, that and Matt hack, the punter, with the first two hawk hack until he proves me wrong. He's Matt hack. Um, They were the first two players that we signed from another team, but that didn't mean our GM wasn't doing work, but it fit our best case scenario in terms of what the Bills could accomplish this free agency period and that we did hemorrhage talent. We didn't lose ourselves in that way for the New York Jets what is the best case and the worst case scenario for you to play out over the next week or so? Let's say next Tuesday we get together and we do, we recap this between now and then your best case scenario and
2: worst case scenario. Best case scenario for the rest of the way I would say is, and I'm just you're talking about just free agency here, yep, right? Just and free not- agency. Nope. Okay. Between now and so next would- week, what is, what is the best case scenario? Hmm. So best case scenario with free agency, I would say the rest of the way, I wouldn't be against if they could add Curtis Samuel still, because I think he's such an overall weapon. They could use him on jet sweeps and things like that. I I wouldn't mind that. I'm not sure what they could do at interior offensive line. I'd like to see them try to go after Rodney Hudson, who just got released by the Raiders, but it sounds like not going to go after centers. Maybe Trey Turner. I know he was hurt last year and had a down season, but it's a guy who's 28 and had five straight all pro seasons. So I think that's somebody you should explore if you're the Jets. I wouldn't mind seeing them dip the, dip their toes in the cornerback market. If William Jackson's market doesn't develop, maybe they go and, and dip their toe in that water and see what it would take. And then honestly, I've had some people push back on me for this, but Luke Grant and I were talking about this the other day. Luke, one of the writers and uh, film guys over at playlikeajet.com. Jadavian Clowney's value has never been lower. And I don't think that he was actually all that much worse this past year. It's just, again, he didn't have a lot of sacks. And people seem to conflate that with not being an effective edge rusher. The thing with Clowney is I think our mutual friend Brett Coleman put it best with him a while ago when he was on play like a jet. I've, it was the best summation that I had ever heard of Jadavian Clowney. He said, "As a pass rusher, uh, no, I'm sorry, as a, a run defender, he's Batman. As a edge rusher, a pass rusher, he's Robin, and in coverage, he's Alfred." So I think that's the perfect way to describe Clowney. But again, he's not a great pass rusher, but he is a pretty good overall player at that position. And if you could get him because his value is so low on a one-year $10 million deal or a one-year $12 million deal, you put him with Carl Lawson and you put those two with Quentin Williams and Foley Fadacassi and John Franklin Myers, and all of a sudden, that front seven is real scary. And then, of course, if uh, you know C.J. Mosley comes back and is anywhere close to what he was before he got hurt two years ago— Now, all of a sudden, that defense is really cooking with gas. So I think that would probably be the best case scenario. If they could get somebody like Trey Turner. I don't know about Curtis Samuel, but if they could get him, sure. Essentially, what you're talking about is
3: fortifying the trenches and getting skill players. That's that's your thing. If you could land a couple blue chip trench players and a Hmm. couple blue chip skill players.
1: Like Juju?
3: (laughs) Oh, please.
2: Dude, your TikTok numbers will go through the roof as a franchise. Let me just say, I've been getting a lot of pushback on that, but I... Look, Juju, first of all, is a clown, and we watch Jamal... Anybody who watched Jamal Adams that wants Juju Smith-Schuster, I don't really know what the story is at that but also he really just isn't that good like people will point out that he had 97 catches this year but he had 831 yards he was averaging one of the lowest averages in the NFL per catch he can get over on short routes and he can't break them deep He,
3: he, he runs short routes well he can't go deep he doesn't have speed to go deep and unless he has somebody else drawing the attention away from him in double coverage, he's almost useless. I, yeah. I shouldn't say that. That's there's the, the, the,
2: oversimplifications that I've. <laughs> well, yeah, useless is a little strong, but he's not super effective unless he's got somebody drawing attention beyond him. Would and you say the them
3: thing. over? Okay, so would you say them overpaying him fits the worst case scenario?
2: <laughs> That would be one of them. Plus, on top of that, honestly, and I know this is silly, but you guys are the pettiest Bills podcast, so whatever. Like, I just, in addition to me thinking that he's overrated and really not, I prefer to keep Crowder. I just think Crowder is a a really good player on a one-year deal, and I don't see why you get rid of him for Juju, who I think is not that good. He was the third best receiver on his own team last year. I
3: mean, here's the thing. You know what Crowder doesn't have? You know what Crowder doesn't have that Juju does? TikTok. Well, no. The ability to piss off opposing quarterbacks to the point where they want to drive your drive your team into the ground. I mean, the, yes, the video know. that went viral of Josh Allen in the tunnel talking to his offense. And he goes, listen, we let them do the fucking dancing.
2: <laughs> We're going to go out there and win this fucking football yeah. game. Well, well and that's the thing with him is like he's just an impossible, insufferable person to root for. And so that goes back to the petty thing that I'm talking about It just brings about. me back to
3: most Jets fans, though. I mean, I feel like you guys would be hand in hand. I digress. I digress. I feel like you're an exception to the rule. So worst Thank case you. scenario, Juju Smith-Schuster overpay would be one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? What else would fit this narrative of if this, if this happened, you would view even some of the positive things that this team has done as kind of a failure?
2: If we're still just talking free agency, I... Uh... I don't know. I Are you I don't know that there's anything that they could do other than signing Juju in free in terms of just free agency that would really drive me batty or drive me up a wall. I don't think there's any players that I would just get really upset if they signed them, especially knowing Joe Douglas's proclivities. Just off the top of my head I can't think of anything. I have to really like look at a list. But Juju is the one that I think would would probably annoy me the most. Now, I'm going to say this, and it might rub you the wrong way, but like we talked about off air
3: before we even started recording, I shoot from the hip and I always say what I'm thinking. I feel like part of that stems from the fact that being a two-win team, I don't want to call it Stockholm Syndrome, but what I want to say is that you guys are coming from a place where any good news is good. And right. The, the re, you know you have so much work to do to feel the consistently competitive team that anything that goes well you guys are willing to embrace that and anything that goes wrong nothing can go more wrong than last season did you're like listen I'm already you can't you <laughs> it's like Bane in, in, the, in the Dark Knight Rises where it's just like oh you adopted the darkness I was born in it <laughs> it's like, oh, we Jets Jets fans with football frustration. This is where we've lived. You can't rock my boat. <laughs> Whereas Patriots fans would freak out after they after they lost last year. I just I it's incredible to me. I will I'd like to add one. As an honorary Jets fan here in the moment, I do think the worst case scenario for you guys is to sign Jadavian Clowney, and here's why. Yeah, all of the things about him as a run defender are true. He is good. He does disappear. I mean, he had no sacks last year for the Titans. (laughs) They paid him a lot, and he got very few pressures, no sacks. You go to sportsinjurypredictor.com, his chance of injury in 2021 is a 99%. And you go, well, that's kind of, how could you predict that? He has 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 different injuries he's sustained since 2014 that have caused him to miss significant time. Multiple hernias, (laughs) multiple multiple injuries that required surgery, hernias, knee injuries. Do you know how many people overcome those,
2: Scott, to become great football players again? Yeah, that's fair. The thing is though, and, and I'll, I'll repeat this. If it's a one year deal and it's not a lot of money, I'd be willing to roll the dice on him because I just don't really care that much about Woody Johnson's money. So if it's, if it's one year and you're bringing him in here, I mean, if you look at what he did last year, he had what six QB hits. Eight games, and he had a a reasonable amount of pressures, but it was down a little bit. But I I think he's kind of gotten to the point now, Clowney, where Bill Simmons used to call it the underrated, overrated, underrated loop, right? So Clowney was overrated for a really long time because people were still valuing him based on that one play, that one sack in college, and because of his raw athletic ability. And everybody's like, "Is this going to be the year that he breaks out? Is this going to be the year that he breaks out?" I sort of see him as what he actually is, which is, as I said, exactly what Brett Coleman described him as, a really good run defender, an okay pass rusher, and a guy you never want to see in coverage. But he is still much better than anything else the Jets have outside of Carl Lawson, and he would be better than anything they've had in quite a long time. So I'm just saying, if you could get him on a one-year deal cheap, like 10 million bucks, then I think that would be really good. I wouldn't be giving him a lot of money. That's ah, not just what I'm
3: said saying. cheap and then said $10 million. Oh, Scott, I love it. I love this entire conversation. What I want you to do is I want you to promise me that you'll be back next week so we can really do all of this once we can put together the whole free agency picture. And I want you to tell our listeners, because I have a special idea for next week. I have a really special idea for next week. I don't think anyone's ever done it before. We're going to be the first to attempt it. Maybe this will be like Evil Knievel trying to jump the Grand Canyon and we just end up on a stretcher in a helicopter. Who knows? But with that said, I want you to tell everybody about your website and where they can find you on social media.
2: Well, first of all, as you know, Drew, of course, I will be here next week. And second of all, it's playlikeajet.com. The website went live two weeks ago. And we're in the thick of things now with free agency. So the podcast is where it usually is Uh, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, Apple, all of that daily show. In fact, this week we're doing daily content just based around what's happening in free agency. So as we speak right now, there's an episode covering day number one of the legal tampering period with the very big deal, Chris Nimbley of jetsinsider.com. And at the website now, we have write ups, we have videos. Luke Grant put together a really nice two and a half minute video on Carl Lawson showing the ins and outs of his game and his pass rush plan. He's got one on Corey Davis that we're going to be putting up as well. And we've got a bunch of stuff on the YouTube channel, too. If you search for a play like a jet, Luke's done some really good video breakdowns. And we've got a bunch of new stuff coming, too, in addition to written write ups. Well, obviously written write ups. What other kind of write ups is there? But we've got plenty of write ups there as well. Uh, about what's going on with free agency, but also all the latest going on with the Jets. In fact, I got a bunch of crap from people because I posted this, but whatever, it's Jets content. Mike Florio said that if the Seahawks were to trade Russell Wilson, don't rule out the Jets. And basically said that Wilson is a guy who has the ego where he wants to be recognized as a top 10 quarterback. And if you remember a couple of years ago, there were whispers he wanted to go to the Giants. His thinking would probably be that if he could come to the Jets or the Giants and be in New York and win here, that it would make him the immortal that he thinks that he should be. So he was saying between that and the fact that the Jets have a ton of draft capital to use that don't rule out the Jets. And I got a bunch of crap from people saying, hey, listen, the website is for Jets related content. That was Jets related content. So. There's the news, there's the stuff other people are saying, there's the latest uh, reports of, of the signings and all of that, the podcasts, videos, anything you can want that's Jets related. It's up there. Play like a jet. We're driven
0: by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
3: So moving on from that piece of conversation, we we pivot to a team that has kind of a similar situation to Buffalo and that it's it's been a relatively quiet start to the free agent period in the Miami Dolphins. And here to talk to us all about it is our guest Elf Artiaga from Three Yards Per Carry. How are you, sir? Doing great. (laughs) So the early storylines of the Miami Dolphins right now are incredibly interesting to me. First of all, you guys head into this period with uh, Kyle Van Noy being released, despite the, I guess, outsider's view that he was a core player. Uh, We watched Shaq Lawson over the weekend get traded after just one season of a three-year deal that he signed as an unrestricted free agent a year ago. And there's just been, I mean, short of a punter and I think a fullback slash tight end, looks like a core special teams player. This is an eerie kind of a silence that we're seeing from a franchise that traditionally comes out guns blazing with Stephen Ross's checkbook when free agency first opens. What is the pulse of the fan base right now, watching Miami kind of slow play this?
4: Well, they're kind of freaking out because uh, you know they've been told for months, "Oh, you got to go get a, an expensive free agent. You got to go get an expensive wide receiver, possibly an expensive center." Uh, so far, they didn't. They didn't try on Lindsey. Supposedly, they are in on Rodney Hudson, who got released today by the Raiders. I would be all over that. That would be a huge move. And they are in on some of these expensive wide receivers. But if you notice the market, the market's getting away from these wide receivers they're not going to the, get the money that they were expecting to get. Oh, absolutely so,
3: not. That's something we talked about in uh, yesterday's Rock Pel Report podcast. Uh, Diana Rossini was talking to, uh, she said, an anonymous wide receiver who texted a player to ask why there's no movement. And the guy said, there's, the money just isn't there right now. And Cameron yeah. Wolf took it a step further and said, look, these guys are in trouble because if the money isn't there now, it's not going to be there two days from now, three days from now.
4: Yeah, and a guy who re- who I really, really uh, respect is John Jones from uh, CBS. He's a senior football writer. And he said the Dolphins are prepared to make a wide receiver, very a very, very rich man here soon. I, I'm willing to bet that the Dolphins probably had a deal out there for one of these guys and decided, you know, let's just hold off on this thing a little bit because it doesn't seem like we're going to have to get out there with a – you know, with our checkbook to actually beat anybody on any of these guys. Whoa, whoa, so, whoa,
3: whoa, 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 whoa. If you ask Bill Belichick, okay, <laughs> the services of Nelson Aguilar had to be – I mean, you had to gobble that up, man. Everyone was yeah. pounding the table for Nelson Aguilar.
4: <laughs> yeah, I had a – I I've, I've provided a list on three yards – on the three yards for carry account of, like, second-tier uh, wide receivers that would make a lot of sense for the Dolphins, and Nelson Aguilar was in there. He just was not in there at those averages, (laughs) which are absolutely – he's going to make next year twice as much as Devontae Parker. Is he (laughs) twice as good as Devontae Parker? I I assume he's not as good as Devontae Parker. (laughs) So So these are just bad deals. Are they getting better? Absolutely. They're getting a lot of good players, especially those two tight ends. But they just – they now have two of the top five highest paid tight ends in football. Is that good business? (laughs) Well, I guess, you know, they'll get to show it on the field next year.
3: We're going to find out. I mean, it really is hilarious. And I can't wait to pick uh, Mike Tabate's brain about it later on in the show. So getting back to the Dolphins here, first of all, is there any concern the Kyle Van Noy release, the Shaq Lawson trade, all of this kind of in the run up to this free agent period? These are two guys who were brought in to be what I think myself and a lot of other Dolphins fans and a lot of outsiders would have thought is you guys wanted them as core parts of this rebuild. And yet, just one year in, both of them are shipped out. It wasn't like their contracts were giant impediments to what the franchise was trying to do. It's not like you guys didn't have enough cap space to operate. So it's kind of puzzling. And a part of me wonders if there's not a ripple effect here. That I mean, is there any concern that... Watching this play out could make it harder to negotiate those types of deals in the future. Like agents might be a little gun shy looking at that going, hey, you're, you're calling my client a part of this rebuild and this and that. But what happened here? And what about this guy? Uh, any, any thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, I thought, uh, I thought the Calvanoi um, release was interesting when it happened because it seemed to open up a lot of space that they can use on an edge player. And we all knew they needed to replace Alandon Roberts because, you know, no fault of Alandon Roberts, who played you know, relatively well last year. But he was injured for most of the year. And then at the end of the year, took two bad injuries, one of which should see him missing almost half the next season. So we, we knew we needed an inside linebacker. The Shaq Lawson trade seemed like uh, out of necessity, was made out of necessity. They got Bernard McKinney, who is a Pro Bowl middle linebacker, who still has chops, who still plays well. Also coming off an injury, but his injury seemed to be one of where he's just taking care of uh, some loose bodies in his shoulder, considering that the team was so bad, he decided, (laughs) you know what, now's probably a good time to have this surgery. So the Dolphins upgraded there. And then you got to think of, yeah, Shaq Lawson, I thought, played well for the Dolphins. But they have a guy in Andrew Van Ginkle who they're trying to get more snapped for next season. Mm-hmm. So it has to be at, at the expense of somebody. And if you look at the Dolphins right now, they are missing an edge player. If they can go get that one, that one guy in free agency, and they've tried with Jadavian Clowney three times in the last two years. So maybe finally they can get him on a cheap deal. <laughs> third, third if time they do the that. If they do that, you got to think that their little gambit with Kyle Van and Shaq Lawson actually did work out. So
3: then, I mean, I mean, if it all works, and I guess that's what we're here to talk about, because one of the things we're picking everybody's brain about tonight is just best case, worst case, and probably what the most realistic outcomes are for what's going to unfold over the next few days. I mean, obviously the Patriots made the huge splashes. But you're kind of in the same boat the Bills are, where we're just kind of sitting, waiting for that second and ter- third tier of free agents to open up who are going to come on more reasonable contracts. And we both seem to have GMs that have a plan. Ours is proven that he's pretty adept at manipulating cap structures and things like that. So when you think about the best case scenario for the Miami Dolphins this time next week, what would you say it would be in your mind?
4: Well, uh, right now the rumor is that they're working with some of their players to restructure deals to free up even more cap space, which suggests to me that they're going to make a run at Jadavian Clowney once again. And if they don't get him, uh, maybe they just take it to the draft. But they are missing that one guy. If next week we're we're sitting here and they got Jadavian Clowney in the fold on a two-year deal and they picked up Rodney Hudson, this was a home run offseason. So you're saying that
3: so far, for you, it's more just shoring up the— even though, even though obviously, the desire for skill players is out there for the Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. You know, you didn't tender Isaiah Ford. You've got Devontae Parker and really not a lot else. You know, Preston Williams, mm-hmm. he's he's fallen into that trap that a lot of undrafted free agent players do, that you very quickly start to figure out, like, that's just who he is. Maybe he's he's got chops to be something bigger— but it doesn't pan out often enough that he becomes a truly reliable impact player. I mean, you'd be comfortable going in knowing, hey, we didn't land any big splashes in free agency at the skill positions, but you're okay going into the draft to flesh those needs out as long as the trenches are shored up.
4: Yeah, I would say uh, that just makes number three even more important now. And if you trade number three, you got to trade it enough for for enough of a haul. That still leaves you in the top 10, so you can take a, a top 10 wide receiver. And then you're probably going to have to double up somewhere along the way in the draft, probably with a running back at number 18. So it'll just leave them a lot of work to do in the draft, but that's why they have all those picks. Absolutely. They have two first, two seconds. They're just going to have to use at least three of those four on skill players.
3: Now, the worst-case scenario, nightmare scenario for Elfartyaga come next Tuesday Let's say we sit down with you and we do this again, and you're like, guys, I can't believe this bullshit happened to my team. What does that look like?
4: (laughs) Uh, The nightmare scenario is obviously they're talking to David Andrews, uh, center for the the New England Patriots. He would be just a modest upgrade over Ted Karras, which is what they have right now. Let's say they, they can't get in on Rodney Hudson, and all they're left is with Andrews, which is a modest upgrade. And then they're outbid for... Wide receivers, and they can't get their edge player, then I think that's a rough. That's a rough start to the off and a rough free agent period because then you go into the draft trying to fill three holes instead of just realistically one, which is skill guys.
3: That's fair. I didn't even think about that. I mean, if you're that concerned about it, most realistic outcome.
4: I mean, this is one I do like a lot of guys in the draft, especially at center. I love Creed Humphrey. So, you know, if they kick if they kick center down the road a little bit, I wouldn't mind because I don't mind using a second round pick on one of those guys that are available. Right. I don't think that they can kick edge player down the road.
3: Right now, hundreds of Bills fans just heard you say that you guys want Creed Humphrey and they all just collectively yelled, yelled at their, <laughs> yelled at the radios. Don't, don't touch Creed Humphrey. You just keep, he'd look terrible in teal. He would just look awful in that color scheme. You, you can't, we can't do that.
4: We <laughs> got just the pick for on number 36.
3: Uh, see, Bills fans have really taken a shine to Creed Humphrey. It's. Ooh. I want you to shoot down, or maybe you favor this. I see from Twitter because I'm petty and I like to take a look at some of the things opposing fan bases are freaking out about. I've seen some of the lunatic fringe of the Dolphins fan base saying that this lack of action. I know something I said was that you you can tell who these teams are they're going to be in on quarterback trades because they're probably the ones, just based on the cost associated, the cap hits, the capital, and the expenditure it's going to take, those are going to be the teams that are probably less active right out of the gate in free agency. And Miami has done that piece of it. So I'm also seeing it from Miami Dolphins fans talking about how this is a sign. It's got to be a sign. The Watson trade is coming, people. (laughs) Everyone get ready. And...
4: (laughs) How how real we, we have some of those people in our network as well. How realistic is that in your mind? Uh there's there's really uh as far as being realistic, it's realistic in one sense. The Dolphins have the assets if they want him. But the Jets also have the assets and they have one asset that is better than Miami's, which is they have the second overall and the Dolphins have the third overall. You got to think if you're the the Houston Texans and you're backed into a corner, and I and you have to absolutely trade Deshaun Watson. You rather have the second overall pick to go get your quarterback to replace him with than the third overall pick. Oh sure, so, but now here's so, a,
3: and here's an interesting wrinkle to this that I've fought people like on Twitter because I, I see so much of it. I try to ignore it, and then sometimes I have a couple beers and I snap on people. It's just a thing that I do. I can't help it. Um, this narrative that's been built that the Jets. Oh, the Jets would make so much sense because they've got this and they've got that. And blah, blah, blah. The player has a no trade clause, <laughs> which means that yes. if Deshaun Watson comes to the Houston Texans and says, hey, you guys can get a boatload from the New York Jets. That's cute. Guess where I don't want to play? <laughs> the New York <laughs> exactly. Jets. Then you're just standing there with your ass in your hands, your pockets turned inside out going, I don't know what to do. Which means you have to make a deal with whatever dance partners he's willing to consider as a team he'd like to play for. Between the Jets and the Miami Dolphins, if he was going to go to one of those two teams, Chris, the odds that he wouldn't take Miami with everything they have versus what's going on in New York with relative unknowns at GM and coach.
1: I don't know. I didn't know that he wanted Houston to interview Salah, who really likes the Jets head coach, so... If he likes that coach, you know, New York might be an option. But, I mean, personally, I would want him to go to New York and not Miami because I think he would put Miami a little bit over the top as far as uh, competing with Buffalo for the division. And I don't want that.
3: (laughs) That's fair. So your level of faith that your GM is going to get things done here over the course of the next week.
4: Well, he's been really deliberate so far so it really does look like there's a plan and our head coach came out last week and started singing to the media saying you can't always get what you want and he said that that was in reference to free agency which kind of suggests okay we're not going to be big spenders so relax a little bit like temper those expectations there's a real feeling that there's a plan so i have ultimate faith right here As, as at least for now. And you got to remember, there's another shooter drop. In a week or so, teams are going to start cutting some guys to make up space for the draft. And then you're going to see guys that you didn't believe could be available. Did anybody think that Rodney Hudson, who a lot of people believe is the best center in football, was going to get cut today? No. And especially over $9.9 9 million? No. No, right? I mean, so. the fact that
3: he makes he makes less than Mitch Morse did before Morse took his pay cut, the, the, that fact alone underscores.
1: I've got a yeah. fun little tidbit here, and I'm not uh, – it's on Twitter right now. It's five minutes ago. From Adam Schefter, it's verified account. I'm not joking on this or getting
5: burned <laughs> You're not by punked.
1: Yeah, I'm not getting punked
3: by an it's account. It's
1: burner season, people. Because it's also retweeted by Tyler Dunn. For what it's worth, Tyrod Taylor just signed with Houston.
3: Ah, uh, the domino might fall, sir. The do- that domino may be close to toppling.
4: <laughs> oh, I you can't. know what that tells me, though? What? They're prepared to go maybe the entire season without Deshaun Watson and do it all over again next year. Well, I said that. I said that's the
3: nightmare scenario for everyone pounding the table saying, oh, he has to be traded, he has to be traded. How about this? Teams like the New York Jets slow play things, like Miami, slow play things because they're waiting for this Watson trade to develop. And then it doesn't because Houston says, you know what? If we're going to have to trade him, why don't we let this roster – crater on its own. We'll go out there into next year's draft with our own top three draft pick, <laughs> draft whatever quarterback we want, and then we still have this Pro Bowl caliber quarterback who people are going to fight each other over, and we're still going to get what we want, and then some, and then we won't have to ask for a quarterback prospect or anything like that in return. That's the, I think that's the nightmare scenario for everybody in that boat. But with that said, sir, I appreciate your time, and I look forward to circling this all back around once the dust settles so we can go over everything. Uh, Where can people find you on social, and do you got anything special coming up over at 3 Yards Per Carry?
4: Uh, As always, you can find us at the number 3, Yards Per Carry, on Twitter, and of course you can download all our podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And of course, tomorrow on the 5 Reasons YouTube account, we're going to have a what we build as a free agency blitz although there's nothing blitzy about what the dolphins have done in free agency <laughs> so far but that that'll be on the youtube account tomorrow at three thirty in the afternoon eastern time
3: and before we can talk about the buffalo bills we're going to talk about the biggest story in the afc east this week the new england patriots and here to break it down is lockdown patriots host mike dibate how are you sir
6: Gentlemen, always a pleasure. I'm doing well. A little sleep-deprived over the last couple of days, but bottom line, doing pretty well otherwise.
3: (laughs) Sleep-deprived? I mean, what? It's not like there's anything interesting going on in New England right now. It's not like like your team has made any kind of – they're slow-playing things. They're taking their time. (laughs)
6: Yeah, exactly. They're kicking back, not really, just laying in the weeds, trying to see what's going on. Uh, Yeah, it's been uncharacteristically aggressive in New England over the last 24 to 48 hours, uh, as we record here on a Tuesday night, and this really, to me, is... One of the more interesting off seasons I can remember in Foxborough, at least one of the more interesting that I can remember in quite some time.
3: Well, and that's exactly it. As I crack a fresh beer to have this conversation, because honestly, being it pains me to be sober for these kind of things, because we're trying to, because <laughs> we're going to end up talking positively about the New England Patriots. The early storylines. I mean, you had Cam Newton returning to the team in a one-year, fourteen million dollar deal. You traded away Marcus Cannon. I'm sure somewhere right now. Uh, Christian Simonelli. Christian Simonelli is burning a candle. Marcus <laughs> Cannon. Marcus Cannon. He's lit a candle in his home, and he's just weeping quietly uh, to bring back Trent Brown, who has kind of had a he's had a rough go out there in Oakland. And then the emergence of Big Money Bill, this guy that this character that we didn't know existed who just all of a sudden grabs a checkbook and starts spending Robert Kraft's cash like, like it's water. I mean, John o. Smith and Matt Judon. highest pay for non-quarterbacks, to the respective sides of the ball. Uh, you bring in more defensive tackles, defensive backs. Uh, Warren Sharp had the perfect tweet. And this came on Tuesday afternoon, Billlichick spending in free agency. Prior 10 years total, $359,886,620. Uh, nine million eight hundred 1st three hours of 2021, $146 million. Almost just under half of what he spent over a decade. It took him three hours to write the checks for. <laughs> Do you love or hate the new bill? <laughs>
6: I think the jury's still out on it, folks, to be totally honest with you. I think a lot of this uh, coming together on the field is really what's going to be Bill Belichick's report card when it comes to what he's done in the last couple of days. But look, bottom line, the Patriots had the cap space to invest. Bill Belichick has never had this type of cat space to work with as head of the New England Patriots. So he's taking it out for a spin without any question, and he's definitely buying some new, shiny, expensive toys. Um, I like the aggression that I'm seeing out of Bill Belichick. Obviously, Patriots fans were not happy with the way the season ended last year. They were not happy to be going 7-9, and nine, finishing in third place in the division. They want to see their team go out and make moves that are going to improve. On paper, the moves that Bill Belichick has made— have been good moves. They've been moves to fill a lot of the gaps that were on this roster. Now, you can make the argument, and I'm sure we're going to get into this in a little bit, about whether or not Bill the GM is trying to dig himself out of a draft deficit in order to fill positions with free agents. Uh, It's easy to do that when you have the type of cap space that the Pats have available. But ultimately, right now, the Patriots filling these positions with savvy veterans, guys that can come in and are NFL-ready and ready to play, really does make you wonder what their plans are for the 2021 NFL draft. This has been intriguing. I'm intrigued I think better than anything in terms of adjectives, but I'm more on Bill's side here than I'm not. I think he's doing the right thing at this point in trying to invest that dra- that capital uh, to improve the team in 2021.
3: Okay, so he's making a lot of moves here. I mean, that is a ton of money for a tight end in john Smith, right? right. And then a ton of money in Hunter Henry far more than any Bills fan would have deemed palatable for either one of their services. At least those of us who understand cap ramifications and things like that. (sighs) I mean, that's what led me down this path. Because I think about this. I think about your last two drafts and how you've tried getting tight ends. You've tried. And yet... That per, that position has really produced nothing for your franchise over the last couple of years. You tried to patchwork it with Ben Watson. Is, am, am I going correctly? I think it was Brady's last season. And then last year you went with the rookie tandem of uh, Asi Asi and Izzo. And there was another gentleman that they drafted. I can't recall the name. I'm
6: sure you know it. Uh, Dalton, Keene. Dalton Keene. Dalton Keene out of Virginia Tech. Yeah.
3: So you have these tight ends that you've kind of had over the last few years who have given you zero offensive impact. I mean, I think we made we actually were talking smack to Mark Schofield about it in one of our podcasts uh, in the offseason following Brady's last year that the tight end group was invisible. They had no touchdowns. I think like 13 or 14 total first downs caught, which right. is which isn't – Sustainable, And then you watch him go out and spend like wildfire to fix those two positions. That's what gives birth to this narrative that, okay, he's trying to fix his draft woes. And then you see the Nelson Aguilar contract and the Kendrick Bourne contract. And you say to yourself, okay, well, what has Bill been most widely criticized about? Oh, I know. It's not being able to draft wide receivers. That's been a narrative that's existed. It's, it's gone on for years. So now he's spending in free agency, and he's waiting to see how the market plays out. Maybe he'll dip in there again for a third time. This starts to give birth to a narrative that Bill is digging deep to try to use this cap space to fix all the things he can't draft at, which then leads some people to the next logical step that says, look, you look at what it is. Bill Lachek is the guy who said, I don't want to be 72 years old shuffling around an NFL sideline. He said that he's also the guy who just watched the quarterback who left him win a Super Bowl in a year where he failed to qualify for the playoffs and his team didn't look good in doing so. <sighs> Are we looking at I mean, I to, to make a nerd reference here for the, for the listeners who dabble in the Lord of the Rings universe. Is this Sal- is this akin to Sauron trying to just gather up all the armies he possibly can, and you're going to try to just attack Gondor, and you're going to try to take down take down humanity in one shot? Here it is. We're going to crush the world of man in one fell swoop. We're going to get all of our and it's it's an all or nothing play. Is this the end for Bilichek, and is that what's keying a lot of this?
6: well I think in a lot of ways what Bill Belichick has done throughout the years is try to fill his roster with players that fit his mindset they fit his system and they also fit the way he likes to be able to conduct his team both on the field and off the field you mentioned some of the cap hits and some of the difficulties of signing guys like John who Smith to a huge you know deal obviously four years 50 million 49.9 to be exact um, his cap number for 2021 believe it or not is very low it's 5.69 million a A lot of the way these contracts were structured, both with Henry, Devon Godshaw is another one, uh, Matthew Judon. These cap hits are not really extremely high cap hits for the New England Patriots in 2021. Judon is only counting against the cap for about $6.3 million, and Jonu Smith is only about $5.69 million. So when you look at that, in terms of the amounts on these deals, they're back-ended, they're back-loaded, and they're also a lot incentive-based as well. So the Patriots looked at the way the cap was going to be structured this year, and they attacked it very smartly, because they knew that they were going to be able to get guys in, sign them to be you you know, pretty big time deals, but also be able to backload them in terms of not absorbing a very significant cap hit for 2021. So in that regard, I give Bill the GM a lot of credit. When it comes to the draft, Bill has his shortcomings. He has his intelligence. Uh, I think he's very good at being able to find uh, offensive line talent. He's very good at being able to draft on the defensive side of the ball. He's had some misses at the cornerback position, which surprises me because Bill Belichick is someone that's very adept at being able to identify corner talent, but he's made up for that with undrafted free agents that he's brought in, guys like Malcolm Butler, um, J.C. Jackson. These are undrafted rookie free agents that have come in and played very well so with regard to the draft I think Bill is trying to load the roster fill the positions that he needs that he knows he has voids at and now he can attack the draft in a very methodical way that's not something that the Patriots have been able to do in a lot of ways they've tried to the draft for the best player available without necessarily filling the holes that they needed to fill on their roster the Pats have a strategic plan this year and that could lead to maybe this being a draft that turns the tide for him.
3: I, you hope, right? You hope.
6: And I guess... Well, we hope. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> Here in New England, we definitely hope. The problem is, is you're still looking up, in my opinion, even with all the moves that the Patriots made, you're still looking up at the Miami Dolphins and the Buffalo Bills. They finished ahead of you last year. To be the man, you got to beat the man. And right now the Patriots are third in the division. They have to climb out of that. This is a good start to be able to do it. They're putting together the team but ultimately, those are the guys you're chasing. And the Buffalo Bills are getting better as well. So it's, it's interesting times in the, in the AFC East coming.
3: Your take on the Cam Newton deal. The fact that Cam Newton, after what he gave you guys last year, I mean, what would... I think it's been well publicized on Twitter. I mean, Chris wasn't wasn't the tweet from Nate Gear that they had f- like five touchdown passes and a certain number of games down the stretch last year? Yeah,
1: something like that.
3: It was it was it was it was a bad ratio of touchdowns and interceptions to end your season, and you bring that guy back now. You could have had other quarterbacks. Last year, it felt like desperation. Last year, it was, hey, we kind of slow played our hand and nothing materialized. And now we have to make a move. So we took the most cap, the most frugal move that existed to us. We took it in the form of Cam Newton on a one-year deal for like a $1 million base salary with incentives. And everyone applauded you guys for being geniuses. Some of the same people who said that, hey, that move alone made you dark horses to compete for a Super Bowl last year are the same people now heaping praise on the Patriots for everything they've done this offseason. How much of what you've done now hinges on Cam Newton performing the way you think he can next year?
6: well if in fact it will be cam taking snaps under center being the starter then absolutely a lot of it is squarely on his shoulders he needs to perform he needs to be better than he was in 2020 there's no question about it there is still a lot of concern among the patriots fan base and even some members of the media that cam is still not a very good thrower of the football as of late he threw a lot of passes into the dirt you're seeing him skip passes at the feet of his receivers that simply can't happen this year um You're willing to try to give him the benefit of the doubt as a Patriots fan and saying that he came in at a time where he didn't have an awful lot of time to learn the playbook. He's still getting back, still getting on his feet from an injury-ridden couple of years, last couple of years that he spent in Carolina. So, you can make the excuse, and I don't want to say excuse, but you can make the argument that maybe he didn't have a fair shake in terms of being able to come back and come back strong in 2020. He will not have that in 2021. He needs to be better, and there's no question of at all of these pieces that the Patriots have added around him and I don't just mean on the offensive side of the ball I mean ultimately having a strong defense helps your quarterback it puts less pressure on him but cam's got to live up to it the contract that the Patriots again signed to Cam Newton only includes 3.5 million dollars in guaranteed money it has the ability to reach up to 14 million if he reaches a lot of the incentives that he has in the contract so this contract the way it's structured tells me two things it tells me one that the Patriots are not done at the quarterback position whether it be making a deal for a a trade i don't think they'll go the free agent route because i don't think that that's something that they're looking at but either they're looking at a trade or they're looking at the draft and that i think is probably more likely than not if you're going to bring back cam it makes sense to bring him back as a mentor one year bridge type and then draft your quarterback of the future so that's something to keep an eye on if you're a Patriots fan or if you're keeping an eye on the enemy, like in Buffalo or in Miami or even in New York.
3: It was actually on my list of questions, whether or not this was a precursor to a potential first round draft pick at quarterback. Uh, see, this is how good you are. I don't have to prep you. You just show up. You just show up and drop knowledge. I love it. So with that in mind. You guys have already done the yeoman's work over the course of the last 48 hours, or not even full 48, 36 hours, we'll call it. You guys have done a lot of the heavy lifting around the division. Nobody comes close to what you've spent. I'd be shocked if you were any more aggressive than you have been. If you were to lay out the best-case and worst-case scenario between now and next week Tuesday, when hopefully we can get back together and revisit some of this in a way that I think... I have an interesting plan for how I want to attack this in terms of recapping every team's moves once the dust is settled. Between now and next Tuesday, what do you think the best-and-worst-case scenario for the Patriots is?
6: (sighs) Between Now and next Tuesday, I would say best-case scenario is they would uh, uh, bring in maybe one more wide receiver, and I'm not saying the wide receiver that would break the bank, but someone that could come in and quell a little bit of tension in the room right now when it comes to the status of Julian Edelman, maybe when it comes to the status of a guy like Nikhil Harry, who reportedly is on the trading block. I think the Patriots could use one more body at that position. Maybe sign another defensive player, someone that can play all over the front seven uh, primarily in the interior of the defensive line because I'm a little worried about Adam Butler or Lawrence Guy or possibly even both leaving via free agency. The center position right now is the only position that the Patriots have any question at when it comes to the offensive line. So locking up David Andrews to me is an absolute must. If you're not going to lock up David Andrews, you've got to make a decision and I think you need a savvy veteran to fill that role. I don't think you want to go the draft route and bring in a young center at this point, especially when there's some question as to what's going to happen with the quarterback position, if it is going to be Cam. And again, folks, a lot of signs are pointing to yes on that. Uh, Then they're going to need someone that can provide the protection he needs. So best case scenario, I would lay that out. Obviously, the Patriots... Are looking at pie-in-the-sky options for the quarterback position. You're seeing a lot of rumors being bandied about there when it comes to the Pats having something big on the horizon with the quarterback position. I think they're going to go the draft route. But again, we're talking between now and Tuesday worst case scenario is they stand pat they don't add anyone else uh they lose some guys in free agency i think losing a guy like david andrews would be a huge blow to this team not just from an on-field perspective but also in the locker room he's a team captain one of the most well respected guys they already lost joe tooney on that offensive line losing both tooney and andrews would not be good for the pats and then of course on the defensive side of the ball looking at losing possibly lawrence guy adam butler and then the white elephant in the room is Stephon Gilmore. Are the Patriots going to move him as part of a package to either move up in the draft or to try to gain some type of capital in return for someone that's likely to leave in free agency after a year? You want to make sure that if you're going to move someone like Stephon Gilmore, you need to get something in return. So, worst case scenario is the Patriots botch all of that and they have what they have right now. Best case scenario, they make a few more signings and really fortify this roster for 2021.
3: Final question before we let you go. I have this I have this thought creeping around inside my head. I feel like this is the, this sort of free agency explosion that we is very uncharacteristic for the New England Patriots. But then again, we haven't seen them in 20 years have to operate without a Hall of Fame quarterback. And when your Hall of Fame quarterback wasn't a Hall of Fame quarterback yet when he was still kind of getting his feet under him, they already had a very strong football team. They could run the ball. They could play defense. <laughs> they, could, they, could be, they could win irregardless of whether Brady was the GOAT or whether he was just an average quarterback. It just turns out he played very well and led you guys. And eventually, he became the mantle of the football team. And then you guys rode that for a while, and now that's gone. Is this Bilicek's kind of like last hurrah at trying to establish this before he retires? I want your opinion on that. Is this, because I'm looking at a lot of these deals, it's two, three, two and three. That seems to fall in line with the timeline where Bilicek would be calling it quits by his own admission, not wanting to be the old guy creeping a sideline.
6: Oh, yeah, I think there's definitely something to it. Look, bottom line, everybody can throw the pleasantries around all they want to. Anybody that's in this game, anybody that plays NFL football or coaches NFL football does it for one reason, and that's to win. Ego is a big part of everything that's driven, whether people want to admit it or not. So, yeah, I think there's a big part of Bill Belichick that wants to win. Does he want to stick it to Tom Brady? I don't know. I think that's a little overblown. To be honest with you, I think there probably is a little bit on his end that wants to do that. If you don't think that Tom took a little bit of extra pride in knowing that he won the Super Bowl this year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, while the Pats missed the playoffs, well, then I don't know what to tell you. I can definitely, you know, tell you that there probably was a little bit of that. If on I there. can interject, I don't.
3: Tom think Brady is so sorry, listen. I'm petty, and I petty respects. Ga- you know, game respects game. Petty respects petty. Tom Brady can still pick out every quarterback drafted ahead of him. <laughs> right. That's a, Tom Brady is a petty petty man. And so oh, yeah. there's no doubt that he did enjoy winning that Super Bowl and looking around going, "Hey, New England, where are you at?"
6: Yep. Without any question. And and as he should. I mean, that's something that when you play, (laughs) go back to Herm Edwards, you play to win the game. And that's exactly what Tom Brady has done. And much to the chagrin of 31 or now 30 other NFL teams, uh, you know, he's done it better than theirs. So naturally, there's definitely that desire to win. And anytime you can kind of stick it to your former boss, your former team, he's going to enjoy that. There is a little bit of Bill Belichick, I think, that is looking at the success that Tom had and saying, look, you know what? Bottom line. This is how the team is moving forward, and Bill does not want to ride off into the sunset uh, with a string of seven and nine seasons or six and ten seasons or whatever they might be. He wants to go out on a high note. He's as competitive as anybody, and he's going to try to field the best team he possibly can. I think he's trying to do that in New England. We'll see if it works.
3: Mike? We love you. Thank you for taking time out of what is it, a hectic schedule for you over at the Lockdown Outlet, where you guys are producing daily content. And these are the weeks I was just telling Chris, these are the weeks where I don't envy anyone who feels like they have to like who, who has this role of being the daily content guy or I've got to be the news outlet. I, we just get to show up and react to things. <laughs> we put a, I put a beer in my hand. I react to what I'm seeing. Chris makes it sound good. And that's our dynamic. And that there's no stress in that. It gives me time to prepare. Guys like you are out here really grinding every single day. What do you have going on over at uh, Locked On this week?
6: Uh, all locked on moves all the time. No, all kidding, folks. Uh, following all the Patriots moves, whether they be from Monday, from Tuesday, the league year officially begins Wednesday at 4 p.m. So a lot of these deals will become official, but it doesn't end. There will still be moves to be made. And from what I'm hearing, the Patriots are not done. So if you want to keep an eye on what the Pats are doing, either if you're a fan or if you're someone that wants to see what they're doing to scout the enemy, check us out on Locked On Patriots Monday through Friday. Download wherever you get your podcast on the PlotCon Podcast Network.
3: It's always fun getting to talk to Mike Debate. I wish he was a little smarmier I really do because it would make him more dislikable and instead he comes across as this knowledgeable but friendly guy which is not my life experience when it comes to dealing with Patriots fans. I mean for fuck's sake I was related to some of them and I don't like them the way I like Mike but that leaves us to the Buffalo Bills and as they open a fresh beer We have some breaking news. Chris, we talked in our Rockpile report about all of the things, Brandon, we, we celebrated the man for being a contractual gangster, for all of the things that he was able to accomplish with our impending free agents who we never thought he'd be able to afford. And we said this is clearly him flexing the full extent of his skill as a GM. And then... He signs Matt Hawk. He finds a way to trade tight end Lee Smith to the Atlanta Falcons. (laughs) What were those negotiations like? Hey, I'll tell you what. Brandon Bean comes out like a used car salesman. Just slaps the roof of Lee Smith and goes, Hey... You could throw like six whole passes at this thing.
1: It's like the end of The Goods when they, they get rid of the last car.
3: <laughs> the Goods. The movie. When, yeah,
1: when Jeremy, Piven, Jeremy gets, Piven sells the last car to what, Ed Helms.
3: Yeah, it's the uh, Smoking the Bandit car. Yeah. His boy band wants it. See, I've even seen that crap movie.
1: I own it. It's hilarious. Of course. It's because not, It's not a li- crap movie. It's oh, hilarious. I hate you.
3: The fact that you've seen the goods and not blazing saddles is part of the reason why I just want to headbutt you sometimes. Like I just do. I see you and I'm like, God, it would be so easy.
1: Just, yeah, well, I mean, I've seen space balls. That's <laughs> close enough.
3: But yeah, no, he slaps the top of a Lee Smith and goes, "Man, you can throw like six whole passes at this thing. <laughs> you can. He'll run block. He'll run block like crazy. It's. It's. I guarantee it won't cost you much. You get great gas mileage. He doesn't run anywhere. Chris is the man. What? What can't Brandon Bean do at this point? You traded Lee Smith,
1: Russell Bodine, well,
3: Lee Smith, Russ Bodine. Somehow you've turned them into late round draft picks. I don't even care if it's a seventh round draft pick. What is that? What? How? Why? Why I don't are teams? These- <laughs>
1: Well, Atlanta's got a new general manager, right? So,
3: Did he just get hazed? Yeah. Like, is this, is he?
1: It's like a hazing thing.
3: <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. <coughs> oh. God. Who am I going to compose myself? That's just, it's all too good. Holy crap. Yeah. And the Bills are shouting Emmanuel Sanders? Yes. Good Lord. Here's what I see when I look around the AFC East in terms of the Buffalo Bills. We're the team with the best quarterback in the division as of today. We're the team with the least to prove entering 2021. We're the team with the least to improve entering 2021. We're the team that did the most to maintain the status quo without surrendering flexibility now or in the future to do so. So with that in mind, I firmly believe there isn't another team in our division that can do enough in this singular offseason period to catch up with us now, considering that we haven't lost anything and still have options to build off of last season's performance. Chris, is Buffalo still number one in the AFC East in your mind when you think about the talent of our roster compared to our competitors?
1: Yeah, I don't think anything's anything's changed. Also, we'll see what happens in in the uh, in the draft next month. That's another part of the equation because we you know what if we hit on two or three guys in the draft, then we'll be even better. That's my my favorite part of this season, at least on on Twitter. Is I mean, Michael Robinson's done it before, but like guy who predicts next season before free agency is finalized and the draft happens. Like that's already happening on Twitter. I don't think anything I don't think anything's changing. I mean, Patriots are gonna be I don't even know what to make of them with what they've done in free agency so far, if that'll all all work. A ton of money thrown around at a lot of different pieces. And we spent free agency, at least the beginning of free agency, re-signing our own guys, Milano and Williams and Feliciano.
3: I mean, that, that's spot on. And ultimately, when I look at our d- divisional rivals, here's what I see. I see a Miami team. Sure, you have moves to make. There's things that, that are going to happen there. Your team is going to try to improve and you have a lot of draft capital, but also you, have a, you had free agent money. You also had a team quit on you in a must-win football game at the end of a football season. Against backups, backups were literally pulling a Harlem Globetrotter and just dunking on you. Something, some guy named Antonio Williams ran through your defense like wildfire and you quit on your head coach. Chris, that doesn't sound like a winning franchise, does it? Hey, we win and you're in. The last team I remember doing that was the 2004 Buffalo Bills. That team, and that wasn't because they quit, that was because Willie Parker, it turns out, was a really good running back. And it turns out, guys like James Harrison, and just these guys came out of nowhere and had phenomenal games. Instead, it was literally just the Bills playing the same game they played all year and a number one defense at the time. The number one scoring defense in the NFL getting 50 hung on it in a single game because they quit on their head coach. Then you've got the Jets, who with two wins, literally anything would be better than what they had last year. And the Patriots. I I firmly believe that what we're seeing is... This is the swan song of Bill Belichick. Chris, time gets everybody. People keep talking about Tom versus time. What about Bill versus time? What about the fact that Bill Belichick is what? Now he's 68?
1: Yeah, six feet under, please.
3: <laughs> ah! No, he's 68 years old. He's almost 70. How many seventy-year-old head coaches have there been?
1: Not a lot. Didn't Marv coach into his seventies?
3: The day is going to come where this ends. Just be old and senile. I think this is him taking his what he thinks is his best shot at things. So when you look at and and with that said, you even heard it from debate. They're trying to play catch up to the teams in front of them. There's no guarantee any of this is going to pan out. They're just throwing names on a board and the the media as hyperbolic as it is, looks at it and says, well, there's a winner. They're putting together a winner. Despite the fact that the Dolphins did that for almost a decade straight and never had a winning team. So instead of looking at them, I want to look around the NFL at the rest of the quote unquote contenders and some of their situations. Starting with the Chiefs. The Chiefs lost their starting left tackle, right tackle and center due to cap constraints. And then they go out and pay $80 million for a guard. It's going to be interesting to see how they attempt to address both sides of the offensive line as far as bookend tackles. And interior offensive line positions just a few months from watching their star quarterback get battered and harassed in a, in a blowout Super Bowl loss. Chris, you were at my house. I spent the whole, I'd say the whole second half upstairs with my kid.
1: Yeah, it was and a I, boring game.
3: And I didn't miss anything. That was a shit show. Their defense is actually set to lose a number of underrated role players. Uh, defensive end depth. Uh, they re signed Taco Charlton to a one year deal, but they're losing on and Okafor. Daniel Sorensen at Strong Safety, who's arguably the hero of their win over Cleveland in the divisional round, he's probably gonna hit the market and leave. All but two of the cornerbacks who've ever taken snaps for him over the last two years. All of these guys are out there on the market right now. The restructured Mahomes deal gets them under the cap to have a little wiggle room. But that's not a ton. It's not a ton to work with. Much like the Bills, KC is going to have some moves to make once the market settles. And once some veterans get antsy for work. But there are real questions with that team. I mean, how do you manufacture a pass rush when you have no secondary? It's... It's going to be hard for KC to replicate what they did the year they won the title or what they did last year to Buffalo in the AFC title game. It's going to be hard for them to replicate that. I'm super interested to see what happens with them. Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has re-signed a couple guys. they got some cornerback depth, some inside linebacker depth. Their defense might be as strong as it was in years past, but their wide receiver core is going to take a hit losing their number one option. Their offensive line saw a major reshuffling after the retirement of their offensive center and three offensive linemen. I'd say two offensive tackles and one swing tackle guard. Chris, Ben Roethlisberger is essentially a statue at this point. Yeah, he can't move. His claim to fame used to be that he was this big... I mean, people look at Allen now and say he's a more athletic version of what Ben was in his prime, right? Correct. So you watch him going through this and you say that's a guy who's going to take a lot of contact if they can't protect him. And their offensive line is being completely shuffled. Now, their new offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, has a very... I've heard Steelers fans try to pound the table saying, listen, we're going to be fine because a deep passing attack, deep passing attack is going to be the thing. Last year's attack was short passes and dink and dunk and bop, 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 bop. Chris, did you ever stop and think maybe they did that to keep Ben Roethlisberger alive? Hey, the ball has to come out in under three seconds. Yeah. That's our offense. And we're not going to let Ben sit back there and be a sitting duck. If you take that out of the equation behind a completely shuffled offensive line, I have no idea what that offense looks like. And then you look at Indianapolis. They traded for Carson Wentz. I don't know what that's worth. Nobody really does. They're they're, they're back with Frank Reich. It's a dart throw. They're losing talent to skill positions in a former number one running back who would make a great number two in Marlon Mack. They're number one, they're number three, and number five in terms of targets in the passing game in Hilton, Pascal, and Burton. Their defensive line, which paced their defense and gave their secondary the ability to make plays, is losing three players that all played more than 56% of the snaps. Autry's going to be gone. Justin Houston's going to be gone. I mean, they're a team that's going to have to make some moves in order to try to just stay status quo. And God help them if the quarterback position regresses from what they got from Phillip Rivers last year. I mean, he threw 4,000 yards last year.
1: Yeah, but Wentz was only good with Frank Reich when he was the OC in Philadelphia. So if there's one person to fix Carson Wentz, it's going to be Frank Reich. And what if he fails? can't do it then
3: Wentz's career is over and so is their 2021 season Cleveland is interesting to me they lost defensive line and offensive line talent depth and they have cap space to burn but have only one deal this offseason made for a good strong safety they're in a weird space they've got cap room but they're not utilizing it this is both a good thing and a bad thing for Buffalo the good is that big-name UFAs aren't interested in taking below-market-rate contracts to play for the Browns, who still have to have something of a rock fight within their division between Pittsburgh and Baltimore. The bad is that Cleveland would become our direct competition for veterans looking for work. Remember how everyone kept saying, don't worry, because in that third wave of free agency, there's going to be quality players available who the Bills can latch onto that are going to pay dividends for us. You know who's gonna have that? Cleveland. They're gonna have some of the same dynamics as we do. They they have the contender label. They have the ability to refer to they they can point to the fact, hey, we have skill players, right? They have OBJ. They have Landry. They have a promising young quarterback. They have a highly regarded head coach. I mean, he, he won Coach of the Year. <laughs> Chris, they have a lot of the same appeal that Buffalo does, just more money. Does that concern you at all? That Cleveland might actually find a way to be more attractive to incoming free agents than we are? No, it's Cleveland. (laughs) Listen, Drew Carey, that eye roll right there, Drew Carey would have your ass for that. (laughs) When I think about best case and worst case scenario, Chris, first you give me yours. Best uh, case and worst case scenario for the Buffalo Bills over the, from now to next Tuesday.
1: Best case scenario would uh, probably be what uh, we're in jail for on Twitter right now because that was on me. That was a hundred percent on me for retweeting a fake Tom Pelissero account. But folks,
3: you know the rules. If you yeah. if you get if you get burned by a fake account during uh, fake account season, which is either draft night or free agency, you have to log off for the rest of the day. We have been in violation of that. And as such, Chris and I are both banned from Twitter for the rest of the day.
1: Yeah, well, it's my fault. So there's that. So I guess best case scenario is Brandon Bean pulling a trade for Zach Ertz. It'd be interesting to see how that's going to play out with what picks. That we're going to send uh, over to Philadelphia and if any player is going to be involved worst case scenario I don't know if there is a worst case scenario I mean all the I would have would have been signing a a edge player at one of these ridiculous prices but looks like we're not going to do that that would be the worst case scenario
3: All right so I'll be a little more <laughs> Chris, I love you. I love the fact that you attempt to wade into these waters. Hey, the best case scenario for me: the Bills had veteran cornerback depth and bring back Levi Wallace for another year, kind of like they did with Isaiah McKenzie in twenty twenty. I think also the Bills find a veteran pass rush option that'll give us a baseline of talent there, kind of like what they did it in the interior of the offensive line heading into the twenty one draft. And also, best case scenario is that everyone who spent Monday screaming into the void about how the bills were stupid for letting everyone else overpay the first wave of free agency is forced to eat crow when the team makes some smart acquisitions that help us go into the draft without any glaring weaknesses. It's already happening. And that's something that Bean in our front office have prided themselves on during their tenure here. I mean, the acquisition of Emmanuel Sanders. That underscores that you now don't have to draft another wide receiver if you don't want to you sam pat you could do whatever it was you were planning to do in the first place it's all up for grabs the worst case scenario i just got one there's a phrase that exists that sometimes you got to risk it for the biscuit the bills are very much in that kind of a situation they were one win away from playing for the super Bowl. And regardless of what you might think about the performance in that last game, the reality is that the pieces have been put together for them to resume being a highly effective, efficient team that wins a bunch of games in 2020. But that doesn't get you the biscuit. KC risked it, landed a ring for Mahomes, and is now paying the price for that. Tampa Bay, on the other hand, went all in. One on the back of Tom Brady's experience, have an absurdly talented roster, and is now splurging again to try to run it back. Just like KC did in 2019, leading into 2020. Right? Yeah. Don't you want to be in that situation? Yeah. I'd love to be in the Super Bowl. Who wouldn't? Those teams maximized their windows. They had a window, and they spent as wildly as they thought they had to in order to get to the big game. And it worked. And, now, and then they tried it a second time. Whether that pans out or not is yet to be seen, but they maximize their competitive windows. And the Bills are in the middle of one right now. And it's getting to be about time for them to shoot their shot, even if it is a calculated one. The worst case scenario for me is that Bean gets too frugal. He stays a little too cap savvy and ultimately outsmarts himself in search of those few ultra-talented pieces that'll put this team in the roster over the top and contending for the chance to hoist the first Lombardi that this franchise has ever had. You would hate to watch a GM with a team that fell one game short of a Super Bowl get just a little bit too cheap to make the moves that you really need to make in order to go compete for that Super Bowl. If it's Chris, perfect example, if you knew the difference was $5 million in cap space and maybe having to cut some of your defensive back depth. But you could land a pass rusher that was going to give you the opportunity to topple a team like KC and go to a Super Bowl. Would you do it?
1: Probably.
3: See, I don't know that Bean would. And that scares me. That scares me that I don't know that he wouldn't make a move like that. Because he hasn't. He hasn't overspent or overpaid in any of his moves, which is fine, because we've become a far more competitive roster with him at the helm. I'm just afraid. Is it going to be
1: like Regear in 06 with the Sabres, or 05, yes. where he just stood pat?
3: Yeah, you stand pat, and you think that's good enough, and what you do is you end up just, like, you're like a wave that just ends up crashing on the rocks instead of coming over the top. That's not where I want this franchise. We can't see this era of Bills football end like that. I'll be interested to see over the next week or so exactly how the Bills navigate all this because clearly our divisional partners aren't sitting on their hands. So with that, we leave you with next week's Rock Pile Report. We're going to have WGR 550's Nate Geary in studio for kind of a relaxed, after the dust has settled, a relaxed recap of all the free agency action. And in next week's AFC East Roundup, we're going to have a somewhat different outside-the-box approach to divisional free agency review that our guests might not be crazy about, but you guys as listeners will probably enjoy the hell out of. It's a weird experiment. Like I, I, Chris, we're either going to end up on the other side. Of the, <laughs> it, it's one of these things nobody else has attempted, so we either end up on the other side of the Grand Canyon or we end up at the bottom of it. Either way, we're going to give it a whirl. And you guys are hopefully going to come with us for the ride. But we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Kruger, And this has been your AFC's Roundup.
5: Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network.